Good morning. <laughs> All right, we're going to be reading Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right. I have a question for parents in here to begin. And, and, and young people, uh, children of parents, you can, you can follow along. You can answer the question, too. Just be careful. Your parent might be beside you. Uh, parents, when you give your child directions, do you have an expectation that your child is going to respond as you direct them? Just show of hands. Okay, wait. Hold on. Put your hands down. Okay. If your answer is no, you're lying. All right, ready? Do you have an expectation that they're going to respond as you direct them? Show of hands. There we go. Parents, all right. Do you find that there's times that when you give your children directions, they don't always respond the way you want them to? Children, will you admit to that? Okay, all right, all right. I see, I see those hands. Well, this morning we are talking about something that God commands his children to do. And it is something that we do not want to always do because it is very hard to do. And we'll see that it's hard to do by the way that the disciples respond to Jesus' direction. But what we need to know is that even though he will ask us to do hard things in our lives, they are for our good. And in Jesus Christ, we have all that we need to do it. And when it comes to a command of God, we must do it. And what we're talking about today is we're going to have an opportunity to do it over and over and over and over and over and over again in our lives because of the people that God graciously puts in our lives and the places around us. And so this morning, the thing we're talking about is forgiveness. Over and over and over again. And all of you are like, yeah, I'm so excited to talk about forgiveness. Um, we are back in our series called Lord of All. We took a break from this series during the Christmas season, but we're back in it this morning. And what this series has really been centered around is that if you want to follow Jesus, then Jesus demands everything that we are and everything that we have come under his lordship. There's nothing about you or that you have that he does not want to be Lord over. And the reality that we've just been singing about is that if we are followers of Jesus, we have been bought 
by a price, and that price is the blood of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. And we said, you know, when we began this series, we said, listen, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you proclaim him as your Savior, you also proclaim him as Lord. But when you proclaim that as salvation, you don't fully understand what that means, right? We say Jesus is Lord, but we have to walk into understanding what that means as we follow him over our years. We begin to know it more and more and more. And so in this series, we've been looking at Ephesians 4 to 6, where Paul talks about a lot of different practical areas in our lives that Jesus expects to be Lord over. And so the purpose of this whole series uh, is basically this one little line from this beautiful little book by Robert Boyd Munger that I read in the, the very first week that we started this series called My Heart, Christ's Home. And the desire of this series is that Christ would settle down and be at home as Lord of our hearts in the same way that Robert Boyd Munger describes in that little booklet. And one of those areas that Jesus wants to be Lord of is our willingness to forgive one another. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 32, Be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what we have to understand is that God takes forgiveness very seriously. Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, they allude to why God takes forgiveness seriously because Paul says, forgive one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. And so God's expectation of us is that, listen, you are people, we are people who have received the mercy of God. And when we understand that we have received the mercy of God through his forgiveness, it should make us a people who are very quick to forgive. As Paul says in verse 31 of Ephesians 4, he says, put away bitterness, put away anger, put away slander, put away malice, and instead walk in kindness, be tenderhearted, forgive one another. And the, the principle that Paul is latching on to here in verse 32 is this idea that we forgive because God first forgave us, right? So much of the Christian life is a response to what God first does for us. In 1 John 4, 19, uh, Paul, or John says, we love because he first loved us, right? So much of the Christian life is this response to God. We love because he loved us. We are kind because he was kind to us. We are tender-hearted and compassionate and merciful because God was merciful to us and we forgive. Because God forgave us. You know, if you go through Scripture, it doesn't take long to recognize the seriousness that God puts on this idea of forgiveness. We can just do a really quick uh, survey through the first two Gospels, and we can see very easily the seriousness that God puts upon this subject. In Matthew 6, 14-15, when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, he ends the Lord's Prayer by saying, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. That's a verse I think that we need to meditate on and actually allow the depth of what that means really strike our hearts. Like 
Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. We, wouldn't, we don't really need to go further than that. Like That's serious enough to know that God means business when it comes to, to forgiveness. Jesus also says in Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So it's when we are merciful towards others that we will receive the same mercy in return. Matthew 7, verse 2, For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's terrifying. Like I can just stand up here and say, that's terrifying. The, the amount that I judge others, the measure with which I judge others is going to be the measure of judgment that comes back to me. That's sober. Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Before you come to pray, before you come to commune with your heavenly Father, make sure that there is nothing between you and a brother or sister in Christ. Go to them, ask forgiveness, and then come before your heavenly Father. See, the, the heart of forgiveness is seen in the, in the Greek word that Paul used for forgiving in verse 32. It's this Greek word charizomai, and what it means is it means to share or to show favor. It means to give freely to another person. It is translated in so many places in Scripture as grace. In fact, it's the same word that's used for the grace of God in pardoning sinners. That's huge. Paul's saying the same forgiveness that you receive from the Lord is the forgiveness that you give to others. What did you receive from the Lord? It was free. He showed favor upon you. It was not based on your merit at all or anything that you did, but he just came and forgave. And that is the kind of heart that we are to have towards other people. And so what I want to do this morning is we're going to be, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to be talking about Jesus' expectation for forgiveness. Because what Jesus does in Luke chapter 17 is he speaks about forgiveness, and then the disciples respond to his teaching. And then to teach his disciples, he corrects them because their thinking is wrong. But he corrects them through a parable and then a real-life example. And we're going to walk through that this morning, Luke 17, verse 1 to 19. Now, what I want to do is I want to just give you a quick warning. Beware of the headings in your Bible. You're like, whoa, what? And I say that this morning because headings are fantastic. They're incredibly helpful to help us kind of separate what's going on. But sometimes they can make us think that portions of Scripture are separate when they actually aren't. And so as we're going through Luke 17 this morning, I want you to just ignore the headings. Because if you look at them, you're going to think, oh, these are all separate things. No, they are all part of one teaching that Jesus is teaching to the disciples. And so look past those headings this morning. Luke 17, verse 1 uh, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. 
Now, if you look at the context of Luke chapter 15 and chapter 16, then what you'll see is Jesus is teaching the crowds in these verses. And he's teaching everyone from regular Israelites to tax collectors to Pharisees and to scribes. And when he's talking about temptations to sin that are going to come and woe to those through whom they come, he's referring to the Pharisees and the scribes. That is his direct audience that he is directing that at. And then he gives this really sober warning to them in verse 2. He says, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Just picture that. Jesus is saying, it's better for you if you have this massive boulder, this massive piece of rock tied around your neck and you're thrown into the water, and it's going to force you down, you're going to drown, it's better that that happens than you cause a little one to stumble. Now, when Jesus says little one, he's not talking about children here. I believe it refers to anyone who would become a child of God, whether they are new to faith, whether they've had faith for a long time, it encompasses all of us because the reality is that we are all God's little ones. Scripture is very clear that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. And again, parents, you can understand this kind of language. Right? Like Our children are our little ones. And the reality of a parent is no matter how old your children get, they're still your little ones. Right? They're still your baby. That just never changes, even when they're an adult. Like, oh, you're my baby. Even when they're adults. You know, there's this book that my mom used to read me when I was a kid called Love You Forever by Robert Munch. Some of you probably know it. It has this line in it. It says, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. That's how parents feel. Right? And that's how God looks at us, that we are his little ones. And so when Jesus says little ones, we can relate to that sentiment. Okay, now after that sweet moment, I'm going to completely ruin it for you. I just, can you just throw up the first picture of uh, love you for, okay, parents, I, I read this to my kids. I didn't realize this. I'm like, oh, this is nice when you're a kid. I read it to my kids. Mom is creepy. Mom is, I was like, She's crawling on her hands. He's a teenage boy. Like, Mom, if you're doing that, there's something wrong. And then go to the next one. Look at that. He's like a 30-year-old man. He's moved out of the house. She crawled into his window at night. Like, children, you're our little ones. But if that's happening, there's like a codependency problem. Okay, so I just, I I read that to my children. I was like, this book's kind of creepy, actually. Now I've ruined it for you forever. All right. (laughs) But after giving, uh, it it threw me off. But after giving, (laughs) so Jesus gives this warning. Do not cause one of these little ones to stumble. And he is directing it at the Pharisees, directing it at the scribes. But then after that, he says in verse 3, he says, pay attention to yourselves. Because even though this was immediately directed at the scribes and the Pharisees. It's also a warning to everyone else who was listening because it's not only the Pharisees, it's not only the scribes that needed to be careful not to cause others to stumble. 
as followers of Jesus, we can cause one another to stumble. We can cause others to stumble. We can be inclined to unredemptively judge others in a way that we shouldn't and cause them to stumble. And God looks upon that sort of thing severely. So he says, you also pay attention to yourselves. And then that leads into what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, Jesus' main point here is there is no limit to the amount of forgiveness that we willingly offer as followers of Jesus. That's his main point. And that's going to be my main focus. But before we get there, I want to point out something else in these verses that I truly believe, like truly believe, not just saying this, truly believe that it would change our lives. It would change Jesus' church if we could grasp it with our head and our whole heart. Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. We are not to be pushovers when we're dealing with sin. We are to hold one another to account while forgiving. But here's the thing. There is a real problem in the church, and it is the inability to give rebuke, and it is the inability to receive rebuke. It's a massive problem in the church. We cannot give. We cannot receive. And it's because we have a wrong perspective on what it means to rebuke one another. And I want to change your perspective this morning. And I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and changes your perspective. Because the word rebuke is this Greek word that means epitomeo. And do you know what it means? To honor. Let that sink in. When you rebuke someone, it means you're honoring them. That's the heart of Jesus' people. It's to go up to someone and have this heart that I care about you enough, I love you enough, I see you as an image bearer of God that I want to honor you by pointing this thing out in your life that is going to lead you down a path that you do not want to go. Can you imagine if we had that perspective, if we had that understanding, church, that when someone comes to us and say, I see this in your life, it's because they are honoring us, it's because they are showing value to us. Do you know, to not rebuke one another actually means I don't value you. I don't value you enough to point something out in your life that is detrimental to you. You see, we think when someone rebukes us, it's because they don't value us. No, that's a worldly thinking. That is an unredemptive way of thinking. It's the other way around in Jesus' church. To not rebuke means I don't care. To rebuke means I love. That should so change 
how it's received. When someone comes to you and says, listen, like even the way we use our language around it. Can you imagine if someone came to you and said, I want to honor you by saying something that I see in your life. We'd even receive it. Oh, okay. All right. Sure. Right? We don't come and say, I want, to, I want to call this out in you. I want to rebuke you. No, I want to honor you by saying, I've noticed this, and I care, and I need to tell you about this. That should change how we receive it. It's something that needs to be rediscovered in Jesus' church. I need to rediscover it. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me too. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's the heart of God to do that sort of thing. See, we sometimes walk through life as Christians and be like, you know what, I'm good with God rebuking me, I'm good with the Bible rebuking me, but don't you dare talk into my life. Well, guess what? God gave you brothers and sisters for that exact reason. It's not just through the word of God that you're going to be rebuked. It's through brothers and sisters who have the Holy Spirit of God that see something in your life that you don't see that God has sent to also rebuke and encourage and honor you. God, I love to see it in our church. I love to see it in any church in this day and age. That's my mini-sermon within a sermon. And so we must forgive. When Jesus says, forgive one another, the Greek is in the form of an absolute. This is a command. And Jesus says it, we, we, Jesus says we forgive seven times. And the reason why he says seven times is because the rabbis at his time, they used to teach that a perfect man, whatever that means, whatever a perfect man is, I've never met one other than Jesus, but if a perfect man would forgive an individual three times of the same sin, like that was like high and holy. And Jesus is going, okay, well, I'm going to take that, I'm going to double it, and I'm going to add one more for good measure just to show you that, listen, there's no limit to your forgiveness. And also the number seven in scripture symbolizes completeness or totality. And so Jesus is saying, listen, your forgiveness is total. Never but forgiveness is hard. Right? The disciples hear this teaching and they respond to this teaching from Jesus in verse 5. Look what the disciples say. It says, increase our faith. Jesus says, forgive as much as someone offends you. And they're like, increase our faith, God. They're sitting there going, Jesus, what are you asking? This is impossible. Like, how do we just keep forgiving people over and over and over again, we need more faith. And the disciples are recognizing what we all do, that forgiveness is hard because forgiveness means laying down hurts. It means giving favor to someone that does not deserve it. Right? There can be so many reasons why we have to forgive people that make it inc incredibly hard. Right? We may have to forgive people for bad things that they have done to us. We may have to forgive people for good things that they have withheld from us. We may have to forgive people for perceived hurts. Like there are so many different reasons why we have to forgive. And it can be so hard. And what we have to understand about forgiveness is it's often a process. It's not often a single moment. Forgiveness begins in a single moment. 
with a decision to forgive, but then it'll be walked out over days or weeks or months. So we can probably all relate, maybe some more than others, depending on your life experience with the disciples' response here, Lord, increase our faith. What we're about to see, though, is Jesus doesn't actually accept their response. They say, Lord, increase our faith. He doesn't accept that. He does not accept their response that they need more faith. Look at verse 6. Jesus said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, Jesus is using contrasts here. A mustard seed is incredibly small. And so Jesus is saying, if you even had just a small amount of faith, and then there's a mulberry tree, and a mulberry tree is this large tree, and there's going to be a picture that comes up here that shows you that it has an incredibly intricate root system. So Jesus uses this example because a mulberry tree is actually referenced in the Talmud, and the Talmud is just a collection of writings that cover all of Jewish law. And in the Talmud, the rabbis actually refer to a a mulberry tree, and they say it would take 600 years to untangle and uproot a mulberry tree. And so Jesus is coming along going, hey, that that would take 600 years to untangle and uproot, if you just have a mustard seed of faith, you can say, mulberry tree, get up and be thrown into the sea. You can cause it to move in a moment. So what is he saying? He's correcting his disciples. And he's saying, you don't need more faith. You already have enough faith. You see, Jesus wants his disciples and he wants us to think about faith, not in terms of less or more, but in terms of the genuineness of the faith that we say that we have, even if it's just a little. Leon Morris, he says, it's not so much a great faith that is required as faith in a great God. He's correcting them and saying, you don't need more faith, but they did and we do need something in order to forgive. What is it? And that's what he teaches them next using a parable. In verse 7 to 10, Jesus teaches them this parable. He says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare, my, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This parable can sound harsh to our North American sensibilities. But the point of this parable is a servant should do what is expected of them. When a servant does what is expected of them and they do what is asked of them, they are doing no more than what they should. They are only doing their duty. Jesus says, you know, when you have a servant that's working the field, after the day's work, do you have that servant come in and say, oh, thank you, here, you sit and eat, and then I'll eat after you? No. 
the servant then comes in and serves you your meal, and then once all of their duties are done, then they can eat. So he gives them this parable, and then he says, so you also. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And what was it that they were commanded? To forgive. Jesus' point is this. We don't need more faith to forgive. We need to do our duty. And in doing so, we are exercising the faith that we have and we are showing its genuineness. We would only be doing what is our duty. It's like the first iteration of the Nike slogan, just do it. You don't need more faith. You just need to obey. See, there's a, there's a danger in Christianity, and it goes both ways. There's a danger of over-spiritualizing the Christian life. And we can under-spiritualize the Christian life as well. But over-spiritualization of the Christian life, all it is often is just an excuse for a lack of faith. An excuse for our disobedience. We say, just like the disciples, I need more faith to do that. You know what happens when we say that? We put the onus on God. The onus then is completely off of ourselves. God, you got to give me more faith or I can't do it. And Jesus says, no, you don't need more faith. You just need to exercise the faith that you say you have in me. If your faith is genuine, if you have even a mustard seed, the massive God that you have faith in can move mountains, can cause mulberry trees to be thrown into the sea. Like just one example that I know we all struggle with is evangelism right? I I can't do it. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach people. I'm scared. All that's saying is, God, increase my faith, and then I'll do it. And the reality is, we have all that we need. We just have to exercise it. We have to activate it in Jesus Christ. You don't need more faith. You just need to obey. And can you imagine, like, I had this moment this week. I was like, can we imagine, church, a world, what it would look like if Christians live that way? If we didn't just kind of punt on responsibility and say, God, I can't do it until you increase my faith. No, we believe in Jesus Christ, in the God of the universe. I'm going to step out and I'm going to do it. The world would be changed. It would be. Church, it would be changed. Like, could we be a people that did that? I believe in a big God. I'm going to step out. Right? We see it in Scripture. The the, the disciples are worrying, just willing to speak, right? They step into moments and Jesus says, listen, when you step into moments, the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, he's gonna give you exactly what to say. You're gonna know what to say. You're gonna know what to do. But we sit back, we go, God, increase my faith and then I'll step out. And Jesus says, no, step out. You have the faith, I'm there and I will work in you as you do what I command you to do. We have to flip our mindset, church. I'm preaching to me as much as you. Again, like this is not me coming at you. This is me just saying this. All of us, all of us have to change our mindsets. 
I just so believe if Christians lived that way, like our world would so look different. It would still be broken. It would still be just awful things that happened, but there would be these massive pockets of light of followers of Jesus making a difference in the world. Don't over-spiritualize your role in what God commands you to do. Obey it. He's got it. The mountains will move. The mulberry trees will be thrown into the sea. So Jesus teaches that. And then he gives a real-life lesson. (laughs) I wish that I could be as good a teacher as Jesus because Jesus is just walking along and God just sets things up nicely for him. He's like, here, I got another example for you. If only that happened in real life, you're teaching something and things just fell in your lap. That'd be awesome. We see Jesus then gives a real life lesson to his disciples in verses 11 to 19. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically what happens is 10 lepers approach Jesus and they stay a little bit far off because they're unclean because they're struggling from leprosy. So they don't fully approach him, but they say to him, they want healing. They say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And you know what's so interesting about this interaction is Jesus doesn't immediately heal them. In fact, what Jesus does in this interaction would have made absolutely no sense to anyone there. He didn't lay his hands on them. He didn't command healing over them. He didn't do any of the things that he had done to heal previously that the disciples had seen. You know what Jesus does? He sends them away. All Jesus does is he says, go and show yourself to the priests. That made no sense, church. You know why that didn't make any sense? Because in Jewish law, a leper was unclean. They were cast out of society. And in order to be permitted back into society, the leper had to become clean. They had to be healed and then Go before the priest, and the priest was the one that would determine, yes, you are healed, yes, you are cleaned, now you can re-enter society. And so Jesus just tells these lepers who have not been healed, go and show yourself to the priest. Well, that's not going to go well unless something miraculously happens on the way to the priest. They're just going to get cast out again. Why does Jesus do this? Because he's teaching his disciples a lesson. The lepers, when he says, go and show yourself to the priest, they just turned and they ran. They exercised the faith that they had, even though it made absolutely no sense tell me to go show myself to a priest when I'm unclean? And as they went, as they were obedient, they were healed. Contrast that with the disciples' response in protest. I don't for a moment Negate the fact that forgiveness is hard. The Lord recognizes that forgiveness is hard. But if you are in Christ Jesus, and you have genuine faith in the God of the universe, 
then you do have everything that you need to forgive. And what it comes down to, ultimately, is a step of obedience. Will I forgive as Christ has forgiven me? Or will I hold on to unforgiveness? Will I be obedient? Or will I not? And as I say, it's not easy. It'll take walking it out. Forgiveness may, may begin with just a quick, God bless that person. That's all, I, that's all I can muster right now, but God bless that person. You'll find your heart change over time and the Lord work in you. So church, may we be a people who are obedient, who recognize daily the forgiveness that we walk in, who recognize daily that, that all that we have and have been given by the Lord is undeserved completely. I'm a sinner undeserving of absolutely anything good. And the Lord has blessed me abundantly. And so may we walk in the same way towards others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I just even in this moment, I just want to speak out the fact that in this room, in a room the size of this many people, there will be unforgiveness. There will be those in here who are walking in unforgiveness. Who have not been up to this point, able to lay something down. Father, I pray that you would bring that forth. And that even in this moment right now, that, that they would be able to begin to lay that down, maybe just by speaking a blessing over that person's name. Father, you have forgiven us for so much. And you ask us to do the same thing for other people. I'm just so thankful for each person here. And Lord, I ask that you would give each one of us um, hearts that are supple. Hearts that are willing to lay down wrath and anger and frustration. And all of these things that ultimately keep us from walking in close relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that we can forgive because you first forgave us. Thank you that we can love because you have loved us. Release burdens in here this morning, Father. Bring healing in here this morning to people's hearts that need it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that works in each one of us. Father, I do, I just pray a special blessing over each person here. And Father, I pray that we would be a people, every single one of us, that would obey the things that you call us to. That we would not walk through this life saying, God, if you just gave me a little bit more faith, if you just increase my faith, God, we have all that we need. 
May we not live from this deprivation mindset, but recognize that we love and serve the God of the universe. We are able through Jesus Christ. It's in his mighty name that I pray.